Hey everyone, welcome to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Just a quick note before today's episode. This summer, we're completing our series of introduction videos with our final season of filming, and we still need to raise about $30,000 to cover those costs, and we would love you to help us with that. And you can do that by visiting the Spoken Gospel website and clicking on Donate. And by doing that, you can contribute to bringing books like the Book of Revelation to life. And whether that's through a one-time gift or a monthly donation, your support makes all the difference in the world. So thank you so much and enjoy today's podcast. Welcome to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. This is our attempt to speak the gospel out of every corner of scripture. We believe every part of the Bible, Old Testament and New, is about Jesus. And this podcast is our experiment to publicly test that belief. Let's jump in. Well, welcome everyone to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. We are glad you're joining us. Seth, how are you doing today? I'm doing excellent. I recently purchased the new Pokemon game and me and my daughter have had a great time. (laughs) Oh man. Well, hey, so uh, before Seth and I came on air, we were were talking a little bit um, about the feel of these Deuteronomy podcasts. Um, We've been, we we go back and listen through, um, you know, after we record to make sure that we're making sense and if yep. there's anything we can do to improve and also to remind us of what we said to help keep the or thread tight something or like yep. we said we would said we would address something but didn't actually right. do more episodes stuff like that yeah yeah and so um and so we're, we're, we're as we're listening back through these episodes we're noticing that they're feeling different and so i don't know if you guys listening to this through deuteronomy have felt that they feel a little different too and we just wanted to address it why that might yeah. be so go seth you had some good thoughts i think yeah i think i mean i was trying to figure out like what because they feel like I think you mentioned like they feel like we're maybe making like less in depth analysis of a particular mm-hmm. text and making like larger flyovers like what does it mean to fear the Lord what does it mean to repeat the law what does mm-hmm. it mean to like live actually this like yearly cycle of remembrance and mm-hmm. living whatever else what is it the nature of obedience and so I've been as I've been reflecting on that I was like man is it, are we actually being faithful to the text because. In Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, it was like, okay, these four chapters tell us this one story, mm-hmm. and here's a really kind of interesting way that the New Testament authors pick up on these threads here and complete the narrative. Right. And we haven't done that with as much detail or as much clarity, I feel, in these mm-hmm. ones. And I wonder if the case is because that's the way Deuteronomy functions. Like, yeah. Deuteronomy assumes you've read uh, the first four books of the Torah. And is actually just recapping a lot of those things and mm-hmm. packaging them differently and forcing Israel to think about them really more broadly, not yeah. in the details of their history. Right. But like, let's replay the last several hundred years in like mm-hmm. a brief moment. So yeah. I'm wondering like if the way that the reason they feel different is because like we are actually doing what the book of Deuteronomy demands. It's like yeah. reflecting on hundreds of years of history, mm-hmm. not moments within history. Yeah, I think that's really helpful. And I think that uh, that's, I 100% agree with that. I think that is why that feels different and why we feel compelled to do these more like thematic flyovers of fear of the Lord, like you mentioned. Um, I think the other reason is this is the first time that all the action is taking place in one spot by one guy at one moment. Like this is Moses. Yep, Moses' feet yeah. are still 
he's just giving a speech and that's all that's happening. All the action is that this is a speech and we're used to like traveling through wildernesses and having these moments where the ground opens up and there's God makes light out of nothing. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) There's always action. Like it's actually happening on the page. Yeah. So anyway, I, yeah, we just wanted to name that. Um, and, uh, and just, I don't know if, if any of you guys listening or feeling that we wanted to, we wanted to name it. And if nothing else, just for our own conscience, we wanted to name it. <laughs> yeah, we want to name it. And also I think like, we want to make sure that we're being faithful to the text. Like, are we doing something like, were we misleading you guys or misleading ourselves mm-hmm. or being lazy by not right. like drilling down to the details? And it could be that we're being lazy, but <laughs> I think that we're, I think the way, because we are studying and it feels different because the text itself is different. Yeah, I think, and that's I think that's fine. what's happening. Yeah. So, so in, yeah. Anyway, there's the there's your preface for the episode. Yes. Um, all right. So self reflective thoughts. Self reflective thoughts. Um, and 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 I'll add one more preface. If anyone's like David's voice in the room sounds different, it's because I'm in San Diego recording on a, a desktop microphone. Uh, because I'm at the Evangelical Theological Society annual meeting wow. to go and listen to a bunch of scholars read papers that they wrote all year. Because the theme this year for the um, the entries is Christ in all of Scripture. What I love is how like excited you are. It's like this is clearly like a fun trip for you. <laughs> like and most people, are like I'm going to read PhDs. PhDs like trying to read their papers to me. It's going to be amazing. I'm like itching to get right when we get off this call. I'm running over to the to the conference center for the first reading, so I'm very excited. Well, good luck over so, there. Anyway, so I apologize if the room sounds a little echoey or anything like that. I've got a pillow sitting in front of my microphone to try to dampen some of the echo. That's amazing. <laughs> so anyway, all right. So we are in Deuteronomy 10 through 11. I know last uh, last time we were in um, 7 to 9, we mentioned that 7 to 11 is kind of a literary unit that we broke up yeah. because there's so many gospel tenders or gospel nuggets. Gospel nuggets, yeah. And so, um, to, so today um, we left off last we last we left off Moses was talking about the um, golden calf mm-hmm. and reminding Israel of their sin in order to chasten them from feeling like they were special because yeah. God chose them because they're so good and so righteous and he's like no you really sucked actually and God still chose you because he's gracious and the way that chapter 9 ends is with Moses praying to the Lord for mercy uh, and grace towards Israel despite their sins. So right. I lay verse twenty-five of chapter nine. So I lay prostrate before the Lord for those forty days and forty nights because the Lord said He would destroy you. So mm. chapter nine ends with Moses praying, "God, please do not destroy your people." Chapter ten begins with God's response to Moses' prayer. Yeah. So Moses prays for forty days and forty nights that God would not kill the people of Israel. And the way God responds to Moses' prayer is by giving him the Ten Commandments, <laughs> which we should stop and think about that for a second, because I was yeah. struck today as I was like, so blind. What do you hear when you hear that? God's response to Moses' prayer is the Ten Commandments. I mean, my initial response, I don't know. It's it's not like a gut response. It's more of maybe an educated or thoughtful one. <laughs> but uh, I hadn't thought about that question, actually. Um, but the first thing that I thought of was that the law is gracious, like the law is an act yeah. of grace. And I, I think yeah. I often want to disregard that. Um, yes. And, but the law is gracious. It's, it's, yeah. it's a way that God has given us to escape our sin and live in community with him. Now, we 
we fail to meet that test, but it is right. grace. What about I, you? I, I literally wrote, I, I said, the law is how Israel is saved mm. from God's judgment. Yeah. And so I was like, I don't think I'm used to positively thinking about the law. Right. Like Paul will talk about it positively, and it's always like this kind of puzzle for me. Like, wow, mm-hmm. I mean, we they failed it. It wasn't enough for them. They weren't able to keep it. Purely negative. But here, the law is God's gracious response and the prescription for their salvation. Like the law is salvation for the people of Israel. It is their good news. It is yeah. their gospel. And so, like, I wanted to pause there, even in just that first verse, <laughs> and think about like, why is the law good news? Yeah. Oof. I mean, I guess uh, let's let's talk about it. several several reasons that come to mind. One, uh, it shows us it's good news because it shows us who God is. Like we yeah. see that God is a, a good God who deserves all worship, who is faithful and hates murder and wants us to not live our lives as covetous, envious creatures. We, we talked about in, back in Exodus 20 that like the fact that God says do not kill means that God is a God of life. The fact yeah. that he says do not covet means he actually owns all things and he's willing to give them to you. The yeah. fact that he says do not lie means he's a God of truth and will never speak falsely towards you. Mm-hmm. Like the reason the law exists is it tells us about God and his character yeah. is good news towards us. It is I think good news towards another, us. another reason it's good news is because it tells us how to live well in the world. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it, it, it's a way to blessing that we actually can uh, live a good life. And, um, and, and so it's, it's, it's just, I'm trying to separate that from maybe the, the fulfillment of the promises that are tied to obedience and just say mm-hmm. like, it's good to live this way ontologically, like by itself, it's yeah, just yeah. good to live this way. This like you'll live a better life obeying the law than you yeah. would not obeying the law. Yeah, that's what you're saying. Like, yeah, yeah it's it's wisdom. wisdom. Yes, 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 yeah, yes. And totally. all throughout Deuteronomy, let's consider it's called wisdom. The first couple chapters. Yeah, yep. yeah, it's wisdom. Yep. And so then, uh, obviously, it's then all all the blessings and promises tied to the law are good news. That if you obey my commands, it will go well with you, and you will live long in the land, and I will prosper you and be with you. And so it's like. That because of what is tied to obedience to the law, it's good news. Right. It's um, good news because God promises when you obey, I will bless you. Yeah. Like, like, and the law is not separated from those blessings. I think that's one thing. Another thing mm. that I kept picking up on was, I mean, obeying the law is always tied to two things, either a curse for not, for disobeying mm. or a blessing for obeying. Like, right. like, it's not like obeying the law is not separate from the blessing that comes with it or the curse that comes from not doing it. So maybe they would say obeying the law comes with blessing, disobedience comes with cursing. That might sound really obvious, but like yeah. that's actually really good news. Like when you obey the law, God promises to provide for you, send rain, bring crops, provide victory in battle. Like that's good news. Yeah. <laughs> that's good news. Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, if we were going to ask, is there, is, does Jesus do a similar thing in, in this? Like, we have Moses interceding for us for 40 days and 40 nights, and then there's a giving of the law. That's good news for the people. I mean, that reminds me of Matthew. You mean the Sermon on the Mount? Yeah, exactly. I mean, Matthew yeah, 4. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, Jesus goes to the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights um, and is tempted by Satan. But really, that is him being our intercessor. He is going and succeeding uh, in temptation where we failed so that he could arbiter between us. Um, and so he goes and intercedes for us for 40 days and 40 nights and then comes and gives a new law on the mountain, the Sermon on the Mount. And yeah. what is, what's the first word that he says? 
blessed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Here's a blessing for you for the from the law. Like so this she, is good news for you. So when Moses goes on the mountain, prays for forty days and forty nights, he comes and gives the Ten Commandments as good news. Right. The proclamation of what life should be like in the kingdom of God in the new the new Eden in Canaan. And when Jesus does the same, he comes and this is this is what the good news of what life like in my kingdom. That's yeah. super, super helpful. And what's crazy there is he doesn't talk about his like I, I want to make sure we so his we don't get the kingdom without Jesus's substitutionary death That's right. for us. Yeah. But Jesus in that moment doesn't feel it's necessary to talk about. Like the law itself in that moment is good news for people who are mourning, people who are oppressed, people who are uh, lowly. I'm trying to think of all the beatitudes the way he right. like, the way yep. it lays out. But like it's good news for them because that kingdom is coming. Yep. I think about Romans 7. So then the law is holy yep. and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Like yep. Paul like says it explicitly in 1 Timothy 8. Uh, one eight, not eight. Uh, he says, "Now we know that the law, the Torah, is good if one uses it legitimately." Mm. Um, and so I mean, there's a lot to say there. Oh, what does it mean to legitimately use the law, legitimately obey the law? But, yeah, and that's what Jesus was explaining on the Sermon on the Mount. That's exactly yeah. right. So it's I wanted really to sit in that for a little while because, like, I'm so used to saying the law was insufficient; it was not good enough. Like, it's mm-hmm. like uh, you can never keep it. It only reminds you of your sin. Like to think about like what is why is the law good news? Why would like the people of Israel breathe a sigh of relief? Yeah, whenever it was reformed and reread. Why is that yeah, yeah, why is that the balm that they needed in the moment of their deepest sin and worry that everything was gonna go bad and they were gonna get punished? Yeah. And, or even the fact that it's said a second time. Like they That's what I wanted to, yeah. That's what I wanted to talk about was like that that's the first thing that popped into my head was why why is the law rewritten? Like why, why is it reforged? You know, because Mm -hmm. Moses came off the mountain, saw the people worshiping the idol and he broke, you know, smashed the tablet that had the 10 commandments on it to pieces. He smashed the two tablets Yeah, and it's like, but then whenever this moment of intercession for 40 days is over, God's like cut two new stones for yourself and I'm going to rewrite Mm -hmm. it exactly the same as I did before. Like that's the language that he uses. Right, right, right. Right. he, they're really doubling down on this reforging of the law. So I was like, I don't know if I've ever thought about that as significant, but it's clearly significant to Moses here. Did you think about wonder, that? Like, why is that? I, I didn't, but I'm trying to think like if you have a law that's broken and mm-hmm. you, I wonder if like it might be as simple as like the fact that they're given a new chance to obey the law. Like normally people who disobey or commit treason mm-hmm. are killed one and done like or or thrown in prison and that was what they did when they worshiped the golden calf and when you're either when you're dead you can't obey the law and when you are thrown in prison you don't have the ability to obey the law either like you have or if you do it's in a very different context Context, because everything is stripped from you and you have nothing so i wonder if the fact that they're given a law the second time it's like it's almost as if god wipes away the past wipes Mm -hmm. away their past mistake and say it's like I like I will not I will not remember I'll separate your sins from you as far as the east is right. from the west. Like it's like it's good news because there's another chance. Like there's another yeah. maybe yeah. I think you're I think you're onto something there. I think I, I tried to think about this for a while last night and as I was thinking about it, I was like, Okay, when Moses comes off and breaks the first law, like that's a symbol, obviously, that the covenant that has been being formed over the last like 15 chapters of Exodus, you know, that it's broken, it's severed. 
the relationship between God and his people is already broken. He was like, if you obey my law and keep my commandments, you will be my, you will be my people. I will be your God. And then boom, it's broken. And so the people are like, this was our contract with God that right. he would protect us, go with us, be with us. Uh, and we've, we've, it was, uh, b- because God had already rescued them out of Egypt and all the plagues, part of the yeah. Red Sea and the giving of the law was like, this will always happen for us. God will be our people. Yep. This is like, this will, the, God the, will be our God. The, yep. The law was actually the high point mm-hmm. of being at Mount Sinai. It's actually a bigger deal than God sending down hail and parting the Red yeah. Sea. The fact it's, that God would make a contract with man, that's, that's the high point. It's the contract. I think that's that's maybe a good way for us as 21st century people to think about this, is that God did all this stuff to bring them to his office, you know, and then right. signed a contract naming all the benefits he would provide for them. And then Israel stood up and ripped it. And was like, nope, we this contract is void and broken, and it's this dramatic moment of a contract being ripped in, in the face of those of the parties involved. And then, so the good news is, whenever the the law is recast and rewritten, it's God saying, "Here's another contract." Like, right. like I, I, I don't, yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah. And I think it also shows us something um, about like God showing grace while still upholding the law, that those are not going to ever be two things that he separates, that he will mm. be gracious and forgive and um, and offer second chances, but he will also simultaneously uphold the law. And it's like, how is he going to do that forever? How is he going to constantly say that mm. only those who obey me will be blessed and those who disobey me will be cursed? I will constantly uphold this contract and, and right. say that the law is important while also constantly giving second chances to sinful people. Like, how will he yeah. ever hold both of those in tension? Yeah. And like, yeah. we know that like Romans 3, like that is Jesus. That, that he is, is Jesus. Just Jesus is the new generation of Israel yep. that obeys the law. Yes. Like, so one reason why the law is good news for us is because the law has been done by Jesus, the new gener- the new generation of Israel, the newest generation of Israel, mm-hmm. meaning that there's only blessings for those are who are in him. There's no curses yeah. because that belong to Jesus because he obeyed perfectly. So law, if you keep it, has always been good news. But in Jesus, it's even better news because there's no chance that we can lose it. Like there's no... Yeah curse that can come from christ like right. only blessing through his obedience which i think that is why the, so the second question i wrote was so then after the new tablets are formed they're gone and they, they go and they moses puts them in the ark of the covenant yep and i was like why like that's okay that's mm-hmm. weird and it's yeah, like yeah. what it's what it's what you're saying now they can't be broken they can't be smashed they're protected mm-hmm. and who is protecting them god god yeah. He has sealed them mm. and covered them and says, I will handle the law for you now. And like that yeah. is the picture that we get in Jesus. He is he he keeps the law safe for us even when we constantly break it. Yeah, like it's like the, the Ark of the Covenant is called like the, the mercy seat, or like it's oh, yeah. where God's presence lives, and in the center of God's presence is the law. Mm-hmm. And when God comes in tabernacles among us with Jesus as the presence of the Lord on the earth in the middle of his own heart, a purely circumcised heart, which is co- coming up in just a second, is the law that's never broken. Like is the, And so in him, all the blessings of Israel become ours. 
Okay, so Seth, you, you said that there is this uh, really important thing coming up in this next section, which is the circumcision of the heart. And kind of between what we've just read of the reforging of the tablets and putting them in the Ark of the Covenant, um, there is this um, long section about like, what does God require of us? And um, I just wrote, I wrote down these four things that God requires of us. And okay. then and before he gets to, therefore, starting, circumcise your hearts. Starting in verse 12. I, I think so. I, okay, I've got my notes open. And so okay. it's fear, mm-hmm. walk, love, and serve are yes. the four things God requires of us. To with fear him, to walk with him, to love him, and to serve him. With all our hearts and with all our souls. Yeah. yeah. So I, I don't know. I don't know if there's anything else to say about that. I was just like, people really like lists. and uh, Yeah, and, and I mean, it's them. exactly like we kept saying, like, Jesus is the perfect embodiment of the law like his heart was perfectly circumcised to the mm-hmm. law. Like it, it was in the center of his mercy seat in his presence. But like, this is exactly what Jesus says in the new Testament. Jesus says, love the Lord, your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbors himself, which is actually the next lamp line and to keep the commandments. Like, so yeah. like Jesus himself repeats this, like the summary is in Jesus's lips. If Jesus is the seat of the law, the law is written on his heart. He actually says exactly this line. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's sense? cool. Yeah, yeah, that definitely makes sense. That's awesome. And uh, and so and then we also get this section. I'm just going to try to fly through these little bits before we get to the circumcision of the heart. We also get this section um, where God is talking about why He chose Israel, mm-hmm. and He does a different comparison. So earlier in the last episode, yeah. we saw that He compares. Um, he's, he's like now. I didn't choose you because you were really righteous or really big and strong. I chose you because you were unrighteous and really weak. Right, right, right. Uh, he, yeah, he, yeah, kind of looked at, he, he looked at Israel and, and gave them a reason why they should be aghast at his choice of them. Here, God looks at himself and, and shows mm. the comparison. He says, That's a helpful way to say it. He's like, I'm all powerful and the whole earth is mine and I own everything. And yet I chose you. And it's like, whoa, mind blown. I know. I love that way. I was like, I don't know if I like it more than the other way of saying it. Like, it's like, you were the weakest, so I chose you. Right. Maybe I do like this one more. (laughs) But like, it's like, that's helpful. It's like God's looking at him. It's like, in the first one, God was looking at the world. Like, I could have chosen anybody. Anybody. Himself. Like, I have everything. I Mm -hmm. am all powerful. And I've chosen you. I love yeah, that. I love that too. Beautiful. And then you extrapolate that. If you extrapolate that, that, that to the gospel, it's like the whole earth is God's and yet he came to the earth. Like he identified with our humanity and our sin and our yeah. death. He chose to die even though the cosmos belongs to him. He yeah. became a servant within it. And it's like that just blows my mind Behold, it, it, to the lord your god belong heaven and the heaven of heavens <laughs> the earth with all that is in it and yet he was buried in it oh i didn't know heaven had a heaven <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's, it's like in parks and rec whenever there's uh, the tom haverford builds the the best um nightclub of all time and then and the, he's the, like, the, our VIP section even has a VIP section. <laughs> and no one's allowed in there. Not even us. <laughs> not even me. It's the heaven of heaven. The heaven. Isn't there something like with like the ancient conception of space where there's like three levels of heaven? Yeah. Well, no. Well, three yeah, levels of like the universe. Like there's yeah, the earth. So, yeah. So there's earth and then there's the heavens, which are the skies. And then there's the third heaven, which is God's residence, okay. which is outside of the created order. So what this is saying is then like 
to uh, belongs the skies and the entire heavenly realm belongs right. to you. Yep. And yet all you, that's invisible and everything. And all the earths. Like all three levels belong to you. And you came with the lowest one. That's cool. Yeah. It's amazing. Um, and then, oh, I love just how he says this too. And yet the Lord set his heart in love upon you and chose you. I was like, those are parallel statements. I, I feel like the whole, mm-hmm. you know, language about we're chosen in God or elected or predestined can kind of make people twinge a little bit or foreknowledge. Yeah. yeah. It's like, okay, let's say it this way. Cause this is Hebrew parallelism, parallelism at its best. It's let, let's use this, the, these words. God set his heart in, in love. love. That's and so good. Anyway. It's so good. And I think, um, I think a lot of scholars will point out like the word no, like, so foreknowledge is the one I was yep. thinking of specifically here. The word no throughout the Old Testament is like this really intimate, like almost sexual sometimes. He knew yep. that woman. Like, there's a really intimate, like, um, sense that God knows us. And it's in this sense, he sets his heart in love and chooses them. I, 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 like, I like that yeah. too. And so like you see that in Jesus when he comes and why does he go to the people he goes to? Why did he ultimately go to the cross? It's because he had so set his heart in love upon his people that he died for them. Like and it's just beautiful. Because God has done this, acted in us in this way, we are told circumcise yep. therefore the foreskin of your heart and be no <laughs> longer stubborn. I wonder, would that have felt as graphic to a first century uh, Hebrew, like to these Hebrews, as oh, it I does it to me. Felt, oh, I, dude, I think it would have felt way more graphic because circumcision to us is something like you know, you and I have both had sons, and yes. so it's like they take your son away out of the room that where you gave birth, and they take them somewhere that you don't know, and they go and do a circumcision clinically, sterily, and they come back and like well, nowadays ours, they don't. Ours just had a little rubber band thing that just yeah. and it just fell off over time, no blood yeah. or anything. <laughs> and it's like so, like for me, circumcision. Shiloh, when you were eighteen years process. old and you're listening to this podcast, <laughs> I'm sorry that we did this to you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Ezra, I apologize for your yeah. father. <laughs> but but so anyway, I think it would have been more graphic, you know, in the same way that when Jesus said, like, take up your cross and follow me, they're like, what? It's like, take up your electric chair or your noose. That would, you know, be for us. It's like yeah. circumcision is just a very, we don't think about it, but like they had, I don't know, did they use, uh, they must, they didn't have scalpels back then. I you mean, know, I've, I've watched some tribe and I'm not actually, I mean, like YouTube videos, like, or, YouTube not, videos. or like documentaries, <laughs> like about like like initiation rites rites of passage yeah, yeah, yeah. and like i've seen like i saw one where it's basically kind of looks like um like a pickaxe like a maddox oh. you know with like just a little like semicircular notch in it okay and it's like just... like a guillotine <laughs> <laughs> you you're, you guys can't get all the visuals that i'm getting from seth right now <laughs> and it looks <laughs> with his hand. <laughs> I don't I mean it happens. It happens. It happens. So, yes, I think to answer your question, it would have been even more graphic to these people. Like that you want us to do what to our hearts? And I think for me, I, I kind of realized this last night. I, I think that for me, I have often thought about this like something needs to be cut away from your heart. Like there's a hardness on it or a stubbornness yeah. in it that needs to be cut away. And I think that that's part of it, but that's not the meaning of circumcision in Genesis. The meaning of circumcision wasn't cut off a bad part of your reproductive organ. Right. It was a, it was a sign of God's covenant with his people and of 
the way his promise would mm-hmm. be fulfilled. It would be through the reproduction of Abraham that a whole nation would form that would be a blessing to the world. And so here... We, so it's we, not so much that, about the physical, like the, the, the image is really graphic and physical, but it's not yeah. actually representative of cutting away a bad part of yourself. It's representative of belonging to God's covenant community, like being a part yeah. of his people. Is that what you're and saying? I, I think I'm saying it's it's both and. And okay. so I think, I think it might be a cart before the horse thing. I think it's, we are, God is going to make a people that are part of his covenant, that are living the way he wants, obeying his law, loving him, serving him, walking with him, fearing him by circumcising their hearts, by, by saying like, we are a part of this people. Because really that's what circumcision was. It was just an outward symbol of an inward commitment. Yeah. Right. And like so this is. My whole like body that, belongs to you. Like that's kind yeah. of a symbol. Like my whole, my whole body, all my sons, like my whole life, like yes. belongs to you. Yeah. And so God is saying, commit then to me, your very heart, your innermost commitments and desires, give that to me. And I won't just make you a people through reproduction. I will make you a people that will bless all nations by changing the way that you live, by reordering your affections, by changing what you love and what you desire. Um, I will change you from the inside, not just from the outside. And so I think that's kind of what's happening here. Um, any, anything else that you want well, to say? I, about say that? I mean, just even just the text itself, if that's what it means, like give me your whole heart, yeah. give me like all of yourself, all your hopes and expectations for life in the same way that circumcision is like, Lord, I give you even my future offspring. Like it's a really vi- vi- visual symbol. Yeah. Like I trust you, Lord, with the lives of the generations after me. He says, the reason we should do this with our hearts in verse 17 is because the Lord, your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the mm-hmm. great, the mighty and the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribes. Mm-hmm. So I love that one too. Uh, just even uh, before I keep going on, because he, he executes justice for the fatherless and the widow mm-hmm. and he loves the foreigner, giving him food and clothing. Love the foreigner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve yeah. him and hold fast to them. It's like, why do you, should you circumcise your heart? Not only has God been gracious to you in the yeah. past, but who is he right now? He is God, the yeah. one, the awesome, the mighty, the great God. And he does all these things. Yeah, I, I think another way to put it is like, if the circumcision of the heart is a full love and desiring of God, then what Moses is doing here in this speech is giving us, I wrote down six reasons why our hearts should belong to God and ways to inflame them for God. So um, God's choice of you, we've already talked about. So God chose you. God's power, everything is mine. I can do anything. I'm the God of the heavens of the heavens. God's character, I care for sojourners and aliens and the widows. Um, God's saving action, I rescued you from Egypt. Um, Our former condition, like who were we before he saved us? We were slaves and hopeless. And then when we turn the page to chapter 11, we'll see the the sixth reason is God's punishments. He says, remember what I did to Egypt. And so yeah. you take all of this, God's choice, God's power, God's character, God's saving actions, our former condition and God's punishments. And it's like, man, my, if I meditate on, on those things, my heart begins to change and become more devoted to God. That is like a circumcision of the heart that's happening. It's yeah. giving your affections to Yahweh. So I think that's that's kind of what Moses is doing here is building this argument for why we should circumcise our hearts. I think that, I think you're right. I think you're yeah. right. So I think what we have to talk about is, is like in the New Testament – 
Like, can this we is can a, I talk about yeah, one thing before yeah, we go right. to the New Testament? I wanted to talk about just takes no bribes. So, like, I oh, thought it was such a strange. Like, God is not part. It's the first thing he mentions of all the lists. Like, <laughs> after God's power is God's impartial and he doesn't take bribes. And so I was just trying to like, it struck me as strange. And so I was just mm. trying to meditate on it and think about what does that mean? Like, you can't cheat the system. You can't pay him off. And I remember from an ethics class I took a little while ago, it was like the only difference between a bribe and a gift is your motivation. Mm. And so if we're actually talking about like changing of the heart, like there is a way that we can give God our obedience like a bribe. Hey, God, I'll do these things for you if you plan to bless me, if you plan to do X, Y, and Z for me, if you do this, if you do this for me, I'll go to church every Sunday. Like we can treat our obedience like a bribe to the Lord. And what he's saying is like, God does not accept bribes, but he does accept gifts. He -hmm. wants your, I've done all this for you and he will accept your gifts of obedience. So I was just like, I think there, I think that's there intentionally because over and over again, like this legalism, like legal, like comes up over and over again to, the thought that we can bribe God with our good actions. So anyway, going to the no, New think, Testament. Oh man, that is huge. Actually, like I'm just sitting here reeling from that. I think that's beautiful because I, I think often we talk about like, so is it is it conditional? The, the like obeying God's law and then the blessing and how and it, he clears it up with this one statement: is it's like I want you to obey my law and then you'll be blessed. But remember, I don't take bribes. And it's like, wait. <laughs> What? How are <laughs> right. Those are intimately related as you just yeah, unpack. Yeah. And uh and I think it's just I, I think it's amazing. So I mean I think that does tie into some of the stuff we're gonna talk about here in the new. What Testament. you're saying is like normally we think of like God the covenant looks like on the surface, if you do good things, God responds by doing this. Yeah, right. What like God blesses you based on your actions. But what God's saying is like, no, I don't that's not I don't take bribes that way. Right. But the contract is not based on quid pro quo. It's based right. on your heart being changed and give me gifts of obedience. Like that's very different. Yeah. Um, yeah. He wants your love, not your payments. So that way contract is not helpful, but like maybe marriage is more helpful there. It's like, you know, it's yeah. like, it's not that like I, my wife does not want me to bribe her into having sex with me. Like, you know, it's like what I mean? Yeah. Like that's not loving to her or right. faithful for me. And that was the only reason why you ever gave her gifts. That's she exactly right. She seem hollow and it would be, almost hateful toward her yes. um, and loving toward her. But, but if you were giving her gifts because you loved her, it would be completely different. Even if the gift itself was exactly the same, yeah, the motivation it, is different. That's exactly right. The only difference between a bribe and a gift is the heart, which yeah. is exactly what the Lord, what mm-hmm. Moses says, circumcise. Right. Yeah. Okay. So then the new Testament picks up radically on this idea of circumcision of the heart. Um, Jesus talks about it. Paul talks about it. Uh, it's a big deal. Um, you know, Paul, Paul says that, um, a Jew is not one who is circumcised outwardly, but one who is circumcised inwardly, you know, and, and like, that's a, that's a big deal here. He's saying that if you really want to be part of the covenant people of God, I don't necessarily need you to obey Genesis 15 or 17. Where's where the covenant for circumcision? Uh, uh, 15, 17, think, one of the two. Yes. I need you to obey Deuteronomy 10. Like I need you to cir- circumcise your heart not yeah, yeah. your flesh, you know? And, uh, and so that's, and what we, what we'll find is that there is this deep place in us that God wants that all of these beautiful reasons that we have to love him, even those cannot reach because we are so stubborn and so sinful and so hardened of heart. 
uh, we needed um, an internal spiritual surgery to take place to mark us off as people who can actually love God. And mm-hmm. Jesus says that that is what the Holy Spirit does for us, that he comes yeah. and circumcises our hearts so that we can actually love him. He sets our affections apart f- for him. And- What's funny is like it's actually a better like it's a better guarantee than even physical circumcision. It's like circumcision, as we've said, like is like this outward expression of an internal heart posture towards the Lord. But yeah. a lot of a lot of time what happened in Israel is that people would circumcise themselves, assume they were a part of God's covenant community, but never actually have that heart relationship. What what is good news about Jesus is that when we are circumcised by him, it takes like it's actually like you know it actually does what the symbol was symbolizes like it's not just a symbol it's actual reality like it's not just a symbol of what we hope to be true or we think might be true or we are trying to be true god functionally changes our hearts so that we love to obey him it gives us the ability to stop treating god like uh, a corrupt judge who takes bride bribes or mm-hmm. vending machine like he changes us fundamentally so that we can obey his law like gifts to him he yeah. like changes our ability to like it's like obedience becomes gifts like yeah. gifts that we can give to the lord not begrudging duties that we <laughs> must do like like yeah, i love that and i think i think i just want to say this too that there were people in the old testament who this was good news for and that um got and longed for this heart. I mean, think about David when he prayed, create in me a clean heart, O God, right? And take not your Holy Spirit from me. Like, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Like, he he prayed these things. And and like, so the Holy Spirit did this operation for people under this covenant too. Um, But he, you know, but it wasn't until the new covenant that he comes and takes up permanent residence in us. You know, that's, that's a huge difference, but that's not what the text is talking about here. So we won't go into that. But anyway, there is an internal operation that needs to happen that only the Holy Spirit can do. Um, And so it's done uh, in Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. And so if you, if you're sitting here going like, um, man, I don't love God, you know, like uh, I tried really hard. Well, that's the wrong method. You know what you Mm. need to do if you want to love God ask him to circumcise your heart, ask him to change you from the inside. And so, and if you're a Christian already, don't think that it's a weird prayer. Like, it's like, well, I'm a Christian. I already believe in Jesus. I know I believe in Jesus. Like I've done it for 20 years, but like, I just don't feel Mm. love or don't desire obedience. Like what uh, Paul says it like, we have been saved. We are saved and we are Mm. being saved. Like Mm. there is a sense that we always have to go back to the grace and mercy of the Lord and ask for new sensitivity to his spirit, like sensitivity yeah. to his calling, sensitivity to, to obedience towards him. It's not wrong to ask to be um, not saved again, because we are saved by what Jesus yes. has done, but for new and deeper appreciation and willingness to obey the Lord. Like that's yeah. not I mean, wrong. This is just, this is sanctification we're talking about. This is being yeah. your heart being formed into God's heart from one stage to the next. Like that's what we're talking about here. And I think too, sometimes we think like circumcision was supposed to be the sign of a, of a regenerated heart, like a heart that desired obedience. And so sometimes we can think, I mean, this is like maybe a little more technical than we need to be, but like in the new Testament circumcision, I think most directly links to the regeneration of our heart, the renewing of our mind, the re, mm-hmm. like the, 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 the new desires the Lord gives us. And right. So we are saved by Jesus first, finally, 
forever by his work on the cross. We're not asking the Lord to like re-save us. That's mm-hmm. already been done. We can't lose that. God chose us in love from his heart. Like that we don't do we don't get re-exodist, you know? <laughs> yeah. We do get renewed. And like mm-hmm. that's what we're asking for. Like that work, that continuing work of living in the land. That's what we're asking for. That type of yeah. circumcision. So I just wanted to clarify that because I think sometimes this is as a kid, I always asked to get saved like a hundred times mm-hmm. like to make sure that I was really Christian. It's not about bribing God with the right actions to make sure that you feel a Christian by some internal sense that God blesses you with. It's actually about, uh, it's not about that. <laughs> so that's all I need to say. It's not about that. Like good. the Lord that's loves good. you. He's chosen you and you're asking yeah. us to renew and be re-softened to the Lord. Yeah, that's good. Okay. So um, I want us to wrap up with talking about chapter 11 and the yeah. blessings and the curses. We can really fly over a lot of chapter 11. We've talked a lot about what's in these chapters already, partly because chapters 1 through 11 function as an introduction to the bulk of the book of Deuteronomy in 12 through um, 26. Yeah. What's happening right here is kind of like the kind of the solidifying of these two themes, blessing and cursing. Obey mm-hmm. God, you'll be blessed. Disobey God, and you'll be cursed. Yep. And Moses even repeats things here that he said before about remembering what God's commanded and um, uh, like writing them on your foreheads and on the doorposts of your house and all that kind yeah. of stuff. And so it really does serve as kind of a repeated bookend of everything here. Um, but what, what I just want to name is that there's this uh, thing that we've alluded to multiple times already in this episode is that there's this um, there's this uh, I, 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 what did I write? The obey and stay commandment. <laughs> obey, obey and stay. Yeah, I just like that. I, I, I just thought it was funny. It's the whole blessing and curse thing. It's oh like, yeah, Deuteronomy eleven twenty six. Yeah, if you obey, you will stay in the land, and it will go well with you, and you will live long in it, and I will pour rain out on it in season and out yeah. of season. I, I'll, I'll call it the obey and stay. <laughs> the obey and stay. Got it. Got it. <laughs> I couldn't come up with a fun rhyme for the other one. I just didn't try hard enough. But you know, like the disobey and you on your way <laughs> that, that that sounds good that was off the off the top i like that but so anyway think, but the but the idea here is that um obedience and blessing are linked and disobedience and cursing are linked and um and ultimately we know that israel will disobey and be kicked out of the land and um receive all the curses that the whole Torah has been talking about, you know, Leviticus yeah. talks about it. Deuteronomy talks about it. So let's be really clear here with what we're talking about. So we've spent a lot of time on unpacking what obedience is and is not a curse. Isn't does not come to people who have a circumcised heart. A curse proves that the people of Israel never had one. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. So yeah, if, yeah. If, if, the, if you had this new heart that loved to obey God and wanted to obey him as a gift towards him, and not as a bribe to get something from him, like that was a circumcised heart to do otherwise, to disobey God, to forget him when you have all these good things to worship other gods proves that your heart is not circumcised. So the curse isn't towards people who truly believe although they are implicated by the actions of others, it's actually a curse for those who have never had their hearts circumcised, who have Mm -hmm. never trusted the Lord with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's what's happening in these curses. So I wanted to make that clear because that's not always clear to me. It's like, oh, as a Christian, if I do the right thing, God's going to give me more stuff. And if I do the wrong thing, God's going to not give me the stuff that I want. Take stuff away from me. 
That's exactly right. That's yeah. not the way this works. No. And these are and these are also broader covenantal categories that are being um explained uh through physical blessings. You know, like yeah, yeah, yeah. and that when when God is talking about this new land that he's going to bring them into and that it's it's a land that's not like Egypt. Egypt had to be irrigated from the Nile because, you know, it was a very right. arid land. This is a healthy land. It rains all the time there. It's easy yeah, to yeah. crops. Yeah, he's talking kind of about the uh like the layout and the geography and the weather patterns of of Israel, but he's also trying to get you to picture Eden here. Like he's Oh, he's, yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. And so he's saying if you obey, you'll you'll be in the place where I walk around in the Garden of Eden. If you disobey, you will be cursed by being outside of it. So it's it's it. This is this is yeah, that's helpful. If you obey, it's Genesis one and two. If you disobey, it's Genesis three and four. You know, it, it's that's the that's super helpful. You're in or you're that's out super helpful. of God's land. It has less to do with with physical blessings and physical curses. It has everything to do with the theology that they symbolize, which is you're in Eden or you're not in Eden. And so the question for us is, and you can't separate the physicality of Eden. No. Like Eden was perfect, like perfect. all throughout. But, like I mean, in Deuteronomy twenty six and twenty seven, it talks about the blessing and curses. It's about like cattle and like landmarkers. Mm-hmm. Like it's very physical. You're not discounting that. But what you're saying, no. the the more important point or the the point being made here potentially. Is say it just won't, a different way for me, just so I, I understand what yeah, you're saying. Yeah, the more important the more important point is not the physical blessings that are tied to obedience or the physical catastrophes that are tied to disobedience. The more important point is: Are you going to be in the land with God or not? Mm-hmm. Are you going to be in His presence or not? And that's really the ultimate uh, thing that God's trying to talk about here: Are you going to be His people and live in His land? Are you going mm-hmm. to be exiled? And, and so it's like, are you going to be with God is the, is the really big point here. And so that's the question that extends to us even today, you know? Yeah. And I love and, the way that, that plays out as they enter into the land. So at the very end of Deuteronomy chapter 11, before you go into like how it applies to us, I think this is actually yeah. pretty helpful for how like it applies to us too. When they get into the land, there's two mountains, Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal. And what they're supposed to do is they're supposed to go to those mountains and on, on Mount Gerizim, they make an altar and a pillar. Uh, and jo- Joshua says they write a copy of the law, which is actually the same word, copy of the law, that's used here to refer to the whole Torah. So some people think the whole Torah was written on this thing, or maybe just the book of De- Deuteronomy, or maybe something else. But like all the blessings of God were supposed to be written on one mountain. And then on the other mountain, you would have the curses pronounced. And so there's this really fascinating, in Deuteronomy uh, 27, this actually happens. They go and they build a monument on Mount Gerizim of all the blessings of God. And they send half the people of Israel to go stand on the mountain of blessing. And they send the other half of the people to Is- of Israel to stand on the mountain of cursing. And then they pronounce the curses. What will happen is if you disobey the Lord, you'll be cast out. You won't experience this. And it's this moment that consecrates the land or like solidifies in the geography the covenant that God is making with his people so much so that when Joshua goes into the land of Joshua eight, he does this thing. Like he actually does what's described in 26 and 27. So I think that's fascinating because one, it's an example of God commanding something that people actually do. And you see it in two different books, three different places in two different books of the Bible. But I also think it goes back to like the physicality thing. I think like even within the land of Canaan, you have the mountain of cursing and the mountain of blessing forever before you. 
And one of the things that Moses says over and over again is to, to write the law on the tablets of your heart and between the frontlets of your eyes, put them on your hands, talk about them when you go on the way, talk about when you sit down. And when you look up to see the sunrise over the mountains, remember the blessings and the cursings of the Lord. Hmm. Like obey and enter his rest on that mountain or disobey and enter the curses of that mountain. Anyway, I was just like, it was such a powerful image to me that I wanted to mention it here because I think it kind of, it ties all the, thematic abstract things we're talking about into the very land that they're moving to which makes sense that this is the promised land the new Mm -hmm. eden god's law the good news is built into the rocks right yeah (laughs) i love that yeah it's also helpful just because when i read that i was like what does that mean right (laughs) (laughs) just having the story told is also very helpful (laughs) um okay so what i want us to do real quick as we talk about it makes me rethink too like about the rocks of refuge that david talks Mm. about my rock of refuge jesus is my rock like he's looking at those things yeah yeah that's great okay before you interrupt me again sorry (laughs) what what i want to do is wrap up this podcast uh with galatians 3 8 to 13 because he talks about these blessings and these curses that are pronounced in the law. So let me read it real quick. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, in you shall all nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith for all who rely on works of the law are under a curse for it is written Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all the things written in this book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law for the righteous shall live by faith, but the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ, here it is, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Mm -hmm. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. And so, what we have to see here is Paul is making an argument saying everyone's cursed, everyone messed up, and it doesn't matter how well you live because real righteousness isn't based on works anyway. Real righteousness is based on faith. And so he's like circumventing this whole thing and saying, I can prove you wrong on both fronts that you're not good enough to receive these blessings. One, you broke the law. And two, even if you live perfectly, like, Real righteousness isn't based on works. It's based on your faith in God. Mm -hmm. And he says, and since you are all under a curse, how will you ever be blessed? And his answer is this. It's that Jesus was cursed for you. And it's like, I, like, I know that the whole like theory and, uh, of, of atonement around substitution can be argued and, um, and you know, we stand with it here on this podcast very regularly. I just don't think there's a much clearer moment in the yeah. New Testament that talks about Jesus being our substitute in here. Jesus became a curse for us. He was separated from God, ripped out of Eden, exiled, and taken outside the taken camp for us. off the mountain of blessing. Yes. In the Garden of Eden, onto the mountain of cursing. Like, yes. Like he was, tr- and he was crucified on a mountain. I don't maybe that's a little allegorical, but I, I'm yeah. thinking like mountain, and, like yeah. mountains as like places of God's presence and power like the garden of eden Definitely. and then you have another mountain of cursing sorry continue no 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 it's, it's really good and um and it's why jesus said my god my god why have you forsaken me like he was ripped away from uh this blessing of god that he's always had and so um anyway like this is would, this is how we are saved 
You know, like this yeah. is this is how we receive blessing instead of a curse. It's by putting our faith in the fact that Jesus became the curse for us. In uh, Deuteronomy twenty-seven, where that cursing mountain, that, that liturgy is said, I was just thinking, like, imagining Jesus on that mountain, mm. crucified, and the whole thing is a call and response. So the people on the mountain pronounce the curse, and the people on the ground say, "Amen." Mm-hmm. So I was just imagining Jesus hanging on the cross, perfect, righteous, having fulfilled the law, and then these things being said over them. Cursed be the man who makes a carved image or casts an image. He is an abomination to the Lord. And the people said, amen. Mm. So I was, just, I was imagining like seeing Jesus on the cross, having that wrongly said of him, but rightly said of him because he's taking our sin. And then we say, amen. Cursed be anyone who disfathers mm. his father or mother. And the people shall say, amen. Cursed be anyone who moves his neighbor's landmarks. And the people say, amen. So one of the things we're saying as Christians is exactly what you're saying right now. The curses are on Jesus. And we say, amen. Like that's like, that's what it means to have faith in him. The curses don't apply to us because he's on the mountain of cursing. And we've said, so be it. And like we... We should like notice like our complicity in that. Like we put him there. We are the ones who said, so be it. But also like the sobering fact, like what we deserved, we say over him and he becomes for us. Yeah. Wow, man. That's really beautiful. Well, that's, I want to stop there and, uh, man, thank you for that, Seth. That was, that, that was really <laughs> like, I'm sitting here really moved. Um, <laughs> Anyway, wow. Okay, guys, thank you so much for listening um, so far through the book of Deuteronomy. We're going to continue in chapter 12 next week, and um, we can't wait to jump in with you. Uh, We hope you're reading along with Deuteronomy, and uh, we hope you're enjoying it. And uh, anyway, we will see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Spoken Gospel is a nonprofit dedicated to creating free, gospel-centered media that speaks the gospel out of every corner of Scripture. So to join us in our mission and view our resources, we invite you to visit SpokenGospel.com. Spoken Gospel.